Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, my guest today is Chelsea Wolf. And I don't have a big fat introduction for you, Chelsea. So I thank you for for uh, joining me today. Yeah. My main reason for wanting to chat with you is a post you, you put on Facebook a week or so ago. No, it's been longer than that. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a week. About, well, help me out because help me remember what it was. But I know it was really, it, really mind-bending for me. So um, about your, you, you're contemplating your existence on this planet. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. I had a really funny experience. I uh, went to a gemstone shop uh, a little ways from here and I was talking to the owner and I'm like, what rock is this? And all of a sudden, like her face turned red. And like you just insulted her children. Well, yeah. I thought maybe I embarrassed her at first because like, that's why my face turns red. And then all of a sudden she just kind of got all huffy on me and she's like, these are not rocks. These are gemstones. And then she like went into all of this like scientific detail about the difference between rocks and gemstones. And, um, I mean, I was kind of caught off guard cause I'm pretty laid back. And so I said, okay, thanks for the explanation. You know, paid for my rocks. Cause that's what they <gasps> are to me. No. I, know, I know. I know. You did it again. I know. It's hard to change me. Um, but I went outside the shop and I saw these pretty flowers and then I just kind of stopped and I'm like, that is so weird that someone would get offended over that. It just didn't make sense to me. And I started thinking about import, like the important things in life. There are so many important things that you could be upset about, that you could be hurt over. Um, but people make these choices to be hurt over this, like the silliest things. So you're saying we choose to be offended? Yeah. Basically. Oh, yeah. Which is true. Every single second of every single day, we have a choice of how we respond or how we react to a situation. And um, I had to go through 34 years of, you know, off and on, like, torture to to uh, come to the place where I'm at now where I realize I have a choice in every second. How dare you imply that we have personal responsibility? <laughs> I know, I know. You're a hater. It's against the human way, but uh, uh brings a lot of happiness if you do it. Owning your own shit. Owning your own shit, yeah. yeah can I say that? Then yeah, yeah, yeah. Aiden, Aiden's cool with it. Okay. <laughs> okay, we're good. Yeah. So, um, so how did you, how did that end? Or, um, you know, it made me just reflect on the past, like, five months of my life and, I mean, really the past, like, 30 years of my life and how I've gotten to this point where uh, I use a lot of mindfulness in everything I say, everything I do, every choice I make, whereas, you know, prior to these, the past five months, um, I was very chaotic and anxious and quick to anger and um, let my past really affect my perspective. So anyway, the past five months have been I don't know, and I don't know what word to say. I've already used the word torture, but I'm gonna reuse it. It's been it's been torture, absolute torture, just to wake up every morning and survive every day. Um, so I don't know where you want me to start. I can talk. Torture because you're yeah. dealing with crap in your past that's still haunting you. Yeah, yeah. A lot of unresolved trauma, a lot of unresolved loss, abandonment. Um, I did, you know, end up getting sick. I, I got a, a disease uh, that I had to be cured with, like the most painful treatment. It wasn't the disease that made me sick, it was the treatment. Um, and so that was kind of the start of my journey was having to quit my job, uh, which you know since you were my coworker, and, uh, and having to just sit at home. Like I would go do my treatments, come home, and just be like laid out flat for two or three days, start to slowly feel better. Um, and then after seven treatments, it, I, I healed slowly, but I'm still, still a little more slow and a little more quiet uh, than I was prior. But, but being just stuck at home every single day, not being able to go anywhere, not having, I mean, I want to say I didn't have any help. You know, I, I had some friends come and reach out and, uh, but I was alone. I was alone, I would say 98% of the time. 
Um, and so it gave me a lot of time to think and a lot of time to feel. And uh, during that same time, I found out that there was infidelity in my relationship, which make the sickness, the treatment, and then the infidelity in a relationship that I thought was really stable. They were all the catalyst for this huge shift in my being. So, so you, on top of all your physical crap, you didn't have your heart squished. Yeah. Which... And that was, that was the hardest part because one, he didn't help me at all while I was sick. I would ask for help. And just because of like little issues we'd had, which are pretty normal in relationships, in my opinion, um, he wouldn't help me. Like he just was kind of doing that as like a, a mind game or he's holding a grudge or something. So punishing you for for just being a human being. You know, I had an well, that insecurity. That's a pretty tall order, being I, a human being. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. We all know that. But but yeah, I, I mean, I, I have anxiety in really I had, I don't anymore. I had anxiety in relationships because of abandonment trauma. And, you know, I... Can you go back and explain? Explain the, the, the source of that. Yeah. yeah. So for those who don't know your backstory, and yeah. even I don't know all of the backstory. So. Yeah, I didn't mean, used to talk about it much, but now I can't keep my mouth shut about it. Um, yeah, it's it probably it helps others. It helps others. Yeah. And I would assume you. Yeah, it is. Okay. It does now. It doesn't hurt to talk about it. It it's great. But um, uh, you know, my parents split suddenly when I was six years old, and um, I. I love both my parents, but uh, I'm definitely a lot more like my dad, and he's the one who left the household. Um, I, you know, would watch for him to come home every single day. Like after he left, I would just sit by the window at the time he was supposed to come home, and just hope and pray he would come home. That's like a Hollywood movie. Yeah, it really. I mean, that's just the beginning. <laughs> so, it's okay. but yeah. yeah, it really, it really, uh, it really affected me. I loved my dad, and I had a really close relationship with him. And um, watching him, watching for him to come home created this really big void in me to a point where I, I quit first grade. Like I didn't go to first grade. I stayed home every day because it was so like debilitating. It was, I wanted my dad back and you know, my grandparents tried to step in and I resented my grandpa's um, for trying to take the place of my dad. Um, he ended up... So ended you up, saw that them trying to reach out and love you as a yeah, threat. Yeah, I remember my grandpa holding my hand in the mall. And like when my dad would hold my hand when I was little, like he would kind of like stroke my thumb. You know, it was like, hey, I love you. My grandpa did that once and I yanked my hand away because like I wanted my dad. You're not my dad. Yeah. I'm like, I love you, Gramps, but it just made me miss my dad. Um, my parents ended up reconciling. And uh, we moved from Salt Lake County to Utah County just to kind of for a fresh new start. And, um, and then again, when I was 14, um, the same thing happened, they split. And that time, um, I was a little older and a little more aware of their issues, um, their, their trials. And so it wasn't that big of a shock. Um, didn't really stir any abandonment trauma in me. And, uh, at the time I believed a lot of lies that were being told to me about my dad. By who? Um, my mom. Okay. <laughs> so... You know, it was for perspective. Um, I was told he was an addict for, and I found out just two years ago, he wasn't an addict, he was taking Prozac for depression. And, and you know, the way my mom was raised, it, any pills, any medications that you take means you're an addict. Like that's just the mm -hmm. way she was raised. Right. It's still, I still see my grandparents talk about medication like that. Um, so yeah, I, it made it easy to detach from my dad because I believed he was an addict and I believed that he was making some big mistakes. And in the culture I was raised in, um, you know, you just don't do drugs and if you do, you're a bad person. That's what, a big what part. What culture is that? <laughs> well, um, so Utah LDS culture, Mormon culture is very different than what the church really is, but that's the culture. Like, the club, if you're not club, perfect- Club mentality. Yes, okay. if you're not perfect, then you're bad. It's like black and white. Okay. And so to me, like my dad's a bad person. My mom's the good person. She doesn't do drugs. So I will love my mom and I will not love my dad. Like that was just plain and simple to, in my mind at the time as a 14 okay. year old. Um, do you still want me to keep talking about abandonment? Because I, I have a couple more stories I can share. <laughs> talk wherever you want to go. Okay. Um, you know, I, I got married. We'll skip that part. I got married when I was 18 because I was pregnant with my twins. I ended up walking away from that because of um, his addiction. But uh, I had a relationship in 2008 
where he just like adored me. Like he, we, our personalities flowed, we laughed nonstop, best friend status. Um, he lived in California and I lived in Utah, so he would fly us both into Vegas and we'd spend like entire weekends just like having fun. He was my best friend. And uh, we actually, I was in the, the police academy at the time here in Utah. And he's like, why don't you, why don't you transfer, you know, everything over to uh, Las Vegas Metro and we can just meet in the middle and live down there and then see how our relationship goes. And so I packed my stuff. I was ready to go. We had a move date. And uh, this was still really hard for me to talk about. <clears throat> my, my throat chakra is not opening. <laughs> um, he uh, had, we had everything set up and move day came. The truck was supposed to come get my stuff. The movers were, and nothing happened. Like no one showed up. My entire apartment's packed. I'm like waiting at the window, you know, four, five, six, 15 hours pass. This is exactly like your dad's story. Yeah, Waiting similar. at the window. Yeah, oh my gosh, yes. Okay. I, I still do that. That's so, oh, <clears throat> for me. I'm glad I don't have very many windows that face the front of my house. <laughs> I have to sit in my closet. Um, anyway, so he disappeared. Wasn't answering text messages, wasn't answering calls. I had quit my job. I had... I hadn't officially resigned from the academy because I was in between what we call blocks between special functions and law enforcement um, classes. So uh, that broke me. Like every bit of pain that I'd ever had from abandonment. All fresh. Yeah. Freshly. Yeah. I skipped ahead a lot. I was a foster kid too because my mom became a newlywed, didn't want to deal with my stuff, just a teenager. Oh, yeah. And okay. put me in a foster home, so I tried back up a little bit. Oh, that yeah. was that was probably the worst part. I don't know how I skipped that one. That was the absolute worst. I had an eating disorder. Um, once my mom got married, and uh, I I was a little like bratty, but I like that's I was, just normal. You deal with that. Well, yeah, I was emotional. I was bratty. I went from my mom being fully present in my life to traveling the world with my stepdad and be, never being around, and so I reacted. Didn't ever drink. Wasn't having sex. Still, have never done drugs. You know, it, I just I was. A but big... you're willing to learn. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just kidding. It's not. I mean, it's legal here. I have some symptoms. Just kidding. Okay, um, but yeah. So my mom just really just didn't want to deal with me. She didn't. I you know wasn't going to high school at the time because I, I, you know, had some other things going on. I was trying to work a lot to make money. And anyway, long story short, I was put in a foster home. My mom didn't want to deal with me. Um, she said something to me that I remember. She's like, this is my turn to be happy. That's what she said. And me being an emotional teenager wasn't... That says, that almost says, my turn to be happy says, you don't matter. It, and, yeah. Which, it, yeah, that's, that's, that's detriment. That's, what's the word? It's just so damaging to yeah, a child. It was. It, it hurt. And I mean, I was in, a, kind of, I don't know what I should call it. I, I call it a halfway house. That's probably not right. But it was between... You know, being, I ended up homeless. As a homeless teenager, in between that and foster care, I lived in this place called Vantage Point it, um, for homeless kids or troubled kids, which I guess I was bold, mm -hmm. uh, for three weeks. And uh, it was just, it was just devastating, like totally devastating to be in this environment as a really shy person too, to try to live with a bunch of strangers and kids coming and going and different staff all the time. And and uh, I was there long enough, I made friends with the staff, but then I, I was placed in the foster home and my foster parents were awesome. I, they were amazing. I was 17 at the time and they were like 27, 28, younger, they had younger kids, um, but I still suffered like adapting to their household. They were laid back, they gave me freedom. And because I didn't have a ton of freedom at my mom's house, I kind of went wild with it, but I'm kind of getting off track here. But that's the, that's like the, the epitome of my abandonment trauma was dad leaving and then mom leaving as well. And uh, at the time my grandparents found out some of the mistakes I'd made, which was getting pregnant with my twins. And uh, they both wrote me letters basically saying I wasn't a part of the family anymore. So. That's so contrary to the gospel that folks around here say they follow. Mm -hmm. Blows yeah. my mind. Yeah. I just talked to another guy today, similar situations okay. where. It's just like, if you're not perfect, then you're nothing. And that's what I experienced. So anyway, so 2008, this whole boyfriend thing happens. And anything I had repressed from being a foster kid that I didn't realize I was repressing. You know, you just, you just move on with life. Um, came out. And 
I was like having panic attacks all day. Not only did I not have a job as a single mom. Which is stressful enough. Yeah, I had no apartment anymore because my contract was up. Um, And it was just panic attack after panic attack after panic attack. I couldn't even function long enough to unpack and try, you know, try to get my lease back. So I was sleeping on my floor. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and panic some more. Um, So eventually came to a point like the day before, maybe two days before my lease was 100% up that luckily I was naive. (laughs) I did thought this would end my life, but it didn't. Um, I took like 40 Benadryl. <laughs> yeah, I know. It just take, makes you take a really long nap. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I totally thought it would like stop my heart. But I, no, but just, clueless. but just, yeah, we look at it, we can laugh at, oh, it's just Benadryl. But yeah. you, that was your that intention. That was intention. I wrote, but you thought that that was your only option. Yeah. I had no idea what to do. Like my daughter was kind of being taken care of by my mom a lot at the time. My youngest daughter and then my twins dad and his wife. Um, had them a lot while I was going through the academy because it was like a full-time thing. So I'm like, okay, my kids will be taken care of. It's already set up. It's already happening. I wrote a suicide letter that I still have um, that I read sometimes. And it, it's so, it, I don't want to say I seem crazy because I know I wasn't crazy at the time. I was really hurting. And uh, I called out like everyone who'd ever hurt me. And, but then I also thanked, I had, you know, three really good friends at the time that I'm still friends with. I've done a podcast with one of them. One's one of my cop friends and, um, the other one was just a childhood friend, but I thanked them and, uh, told my mom where I stashed my money and told her where to, you know, where to spend it on my kid and, and, uh, took my 40 Benadryl. I filled the bathtub. I was hoping I'd, I could fill the bathtub as deep as it could go all the way up to my nose and I'd drown in my sleep. Like that's. That's twenty-three-year-old logic for you. Twenty-three-year-old yeah, no. hurting person logic. Yeah, no, yeah. But uh, luckily, um, one of those the friend, one of those friends that I had mentioned in my letter, um, thanking him for you know being there for me. Um, he's super intuitive, and we're very, very connected at that high spiritual level. Um, he was connected to me; I was kind of shut off. But he ended up like being like, "Okay, I need to go visit Chelsea," and so he was like banging on my door. He was banging and banging and banging on my door while I was in the bathtub, like totally passed out, and it woke me up. And uh, I was freezing, of course, because I'd been in the bathtub for probably like seven hours at that time. And I didn't let him in, but I looked out, the peephole saw it was him, and I'm like, you're loved. Like, you're loved, and that's all I needed. And uh, so I started, uh, I mean, it still sucked. I was still in tons of emotional pain, wondering what the heck happened to my boyfriend, but... um, I started unpacking my apartment and then three in the morning, you know, that same that same day, I guess the next day, I get another knock at my door and I thought it was that same friend, Aaron, but uh, it was a stranger and I was kind of scared to open the door, but I opened it and he was in business clothes, so not super intimidating. He just looked like a nice dad and he's like, hey, I don't know why I'm here, but something told me that you needed help. And I was like, I kind of just had a meltdown and I told him my story and, and, uh, he said, I'm the ward clerk, you know, in the church and I will help you. And so with that, um, you know, God sent, heaven sent, whatever you want to say, it was, it was the miracle I needed. And then my friend showing up while I was freezing in the bath and then, this total stranger just seeing my lights on at 3 a.m. on his way home from work. I guess he worked a late shift or worked late. Um, got me back up on my feet and they helped me pay my rent. I stayed in that apartment and um, I got a job that ended up being a really good job with really good people and I kept going. I got, oh, I got a, a full scholarship for the academy so I didn't have to pay. So back then the economy was slow so people had to pay their own way through the police academy which would have been like I think at the time seven grand for me, you know, which was expensive at, you know, at that time. And I got a full scholarship for a report I wrote on why I wanted to be a police officer. So these little miracles started happening and um, graduated the academy. I was working at a place called New Skin uh, as tech support because I had a lot of background in that. And uh, yeah, I uh, moved on from that and I don't know where you want me to go with my story because we're kind of just talking about abandonment trauma, but I still suffered from severe abandonment trauma as a single person trying to date. Everything was a, a signal that I was going to be abandoned or hurt. And Did you find yourself, because I, I, I don't know if it's common, but with people who have been 
abandoned so many times that they will damage a relationship they're in on mm-hmm. purpose so, con- just to be it's, in control. It's not even like it's really subconscious. Yeah. Um, but you, yeah. Um, every relationship other than that one we just talked about that I've ever been in, I've walked away from. Because uh, it was on your terms. On my terms, yeah. I sab- or, and then found ways to sabotage it. Like, found things that, like, wouldn't work for me, which are, you know, it's really, like, stupid, petty things, looking back on some of them. A lot of them weren't, but some of them were. So you just sabotage. You sabotage, sabotage. You do it to jobs, careers. You know, when, when I worked with you, our, our boss saw that pattern in me. I do really well, and then I'd sabotage. And it's just because of, like, fear of failure. Like, I, it's, I would rather take on the blame for sabotaging it than fail while trying hard. Which is so counterintuitive. Yeah, and I didn't realize it at the time until, you know, these past five months where I've, I basically had a nervous breakdown every day. <laughs> so I started seeing my patterns and, and curing them, fixing them. I don't mean this to sound light, mm-hmm. but I've heard, you know, nervous breakdown, that phrase, my whole life. Mm-hmm. Is it different for everybody? What, is that, what does a nervous breakdown look like? Um, for me, it's holding myself up in my house and pushing out the, the rest of the world and feeling, it's like you're having a panic attack all day, every day. Like, that's just what it feels like. Like your anxiety, my anxiety is so bad that I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. Luckily I found a business I wanted to start. So I, I put some energy into that. Um, but after five months, it's still not built because the anxiety sometimes gets so bad. You just, you can't focus. Um, I mean, I've seen other people have nervous breakdowns where they, their brain, like the, the neuropathways in their brain really just kind of shift. And all of a sudden, they're not themselves. I've seen that, you know, friends who've gone through really traumatic events, all of a sudden, they're just checked out. Like, they're mentally checked out. They can't function their personalities change. Like for me, it was different. Like I checked in, <laughs> like I was in it. I was very focused on healing, very focused on getting over whatever it was inside of me that had caused issues for 30 years. I totally just checked in and committed to healing. Sounds like a, a nervous, a nervous buildup. <laughs> yeah, it ended up being that, but it took a lot of, I mean, in the esoteric world, uh, you call it a tower moment. And I had like 500 tower moments in five months where I was building and then stuff would crumble and I was building and then it would crumble and I was building and it would crumble. And mostly to do with my relationship. Um, you know, I, even after the infidelity, I am so unconditionally loving to a fault, despite being a sabotager, that I committed to it. I committed to staying and working through it with him. And it was like a weekly thing where that would just crumble because... Of various reasons, like him pushing the blame back on me. Like, if you had just been perfect, I wouldn't have done this. If, you know, if you had... Yeah, Chelsea, yeah. come on. Step yeah. it up. You know, would I you know. work on your perfection, please? I'm trying. That's what I've been working on for five months. <laughs> we have to really work on... We're, be concerned about that word, too. Anywhere. But perfection. We have to define what it means mm-hmm. in every situation. Because I know, like, in, in the church culture... Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a scripture that says, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I think that's where so many problems come from because people interpret that as exactly what it means, like never screwing up. Yeah, no, it's just striving. That's my perfect definition of perfection is continually trying to be better. Mm-hmm. That's perfection. I and mean, I think that's what Jesus means. Yeah. That's my theory. Yeah, that's the gospel true. according to me. But we get hung up on that perfection. Yeah. yeah there's no such thing as perfect. Like, we... Well, it, it, there is if you if, depending if on how you define yeah, it. Yes, exactly. Um, I think a lot of the the misshapen culture that we live in is is created around that idea of having to be perfect. It creates liars, it creates deception, it creates um, in you know being inauthentic. All for the sake of the appearance of the perfection. The appearance of perfection. Yeah. I remember my parents got divorced. Like everyone was totally blown away and shocked. Because like we were just like this perfect little family of two beautiful parents and three cute little blonde kids in this beautiful house on the hill with two dogs and a cat. You know, we just had like the perfect suburban looking life. Um, and I thought it was weird that people were shocked. I'm like, isn't this apparent? <laughs> like that my parents like, because my dad was never super active in the church, which 
whatever, I don't care about that kind of stuff. But I thought that it was super obvious that my family was broken. I always Well, because you could see it. Mm -hmm. But I have another saying that says, um, every house has a story. Yes. And you don't know what it, nothing is what it seems from the street. Oh, no, not even close. And not when, you, even when close. you dig a little bit, you're like, oh, I totally see that now. Mm -hmm. But we hide it. We don't want to share it, which I get it. You almost feel like if you talk about your problems and they continue to exist, if you continue to whine about it, you feel like a whiner or a complainer. Nobody wants to be that. Well, people think they're going to be judged. That's kind of more of a they common will, thing here. Well, because they are. But the thing is, like, you will be judged by those who are uncomfortable with themselves. You will be embraced Ooh, by that's, people. That's deep. Is that deep? You'll <laughs> be judged by those who are uncomfortable with themselves. Yeah. So... If they're uncomfortable with their own shadows, they're not going to be able to accept other people's. If people are open and wanting to heal and wanting to meet people who, you know, are part of their same tribe, they will embrace you. I've made more friends through being 100% honest about who I am than I have. It's, it's easier too because living the other way is like a lie mm -hmm. and you have to remember the facade. Okay, I, I told this lie now I have to cover up. I have to tell this other lie to cover up the first one. It's yep. so much more difficult. I, I've, I've worked with several pathological liars and just watching that brain try to come up with the, yeah. the BS to cover up the previous one. Like, just tell the truth. Yep. So much easier. Yep. But I don't know. That's something I don't really, understand. Really, really tiring. I, I assume. Um, yeah, being authentic can, I mean, really can, you will be judged, but really does it matter? Okay. Not yeah. really. Initially, while you're trying to grow, like while you're trying to start being authentic and share your story, uh, it is embarrassing. And it is, like I've had, I had posts like a few years ago that I'd post and like people weren't responding. So I deleted it because like they were super real and it was because it was so vulnerable. I, I knew if no one responded to it and people like weren't liking it. Um, or if I was getting negative feedback that I needed to just delete it. Like it, it's taken me a good eight years to finally just be like, put it out there. This is me <laughs> take it or leave it. And I have, I have developed the most like beautiful friendships over it. And you know, I, a lot of people are uncomfortable with me, like a lot of people in my own family, but you know what? Embrace that. Yeah. I'm not uncomfortable around them. Why? Because I've faced my truth. Yeah. So I know they're uncomfortable around me and it's hard for them to have me around not living the way they want me to, which uh -huh. is simply just not going to church. Like I live the life of an LDS person. I don't care to dabble in anything other than like tarot card readings. Those are kind of cool, but that's as weird as I get. That's no more. Okay. Honestly, I don't think that's any more weird to the culture than watching freaking horror movies. Mm -hmm. To me, that's just, that those are awful. Yeah, so how is that any different? Well, you're playing with the devil. Well, so is watching someone get their head mashed in in a, in a slasher film. And really, like, if we're going to talk about, like, that type of stuff, like, that's just a really crazy misinterpretation by a lot of religious people is that it's anything outside of their religion is the work of the devil if it doesn't make sense to them. Um, tarot card readings, in my experience, we're going to talk about it. If you work with the right person, it's just channeling prayer through pictures. I think it's really crazy how you know, all, accurate it's All been forms of me. healing have their place, mm -hmm. I believe. Yeah. And yep. there was uh, a friend of my mother's went missing over a year ago. Oh. And they've never found her. But there, I have a friend from high school who there was a Facebook page created around the search and she was, she did the, the the card reading. She would do these videos on YouTube, and I thought it was kind of hokey because I'm not in. I don't understand yeah. it. I'm not in. So my thinking is eh, kind of hokey, whatever. Mm -hmm. But she kept saying, "She's like, I keep, I keep having these thoughts and visions of what I, I'm seeing these things." And I said, "Well, have you looked at the comments on the Facebook page? Because there's some very similar comments of people saying, I think check this.' And I'm like, what you're saying is jiving with what yeah, other people are saying. Yeah. So tell I think you should go to the family what can it hurt and I had a family member who said who's very you know by the book rules in, in the church mm -hmm. don't that you can't mess with that that's like messing with the devil and like what is it what is the downside just think about turn this around if this was my mother missing mm -hmm. I would want every yeah I don't care if it was a voodoo 
artists, voodoo <laughs> magic. If if yeah. that voodoo magic led us to uh, closer to finding them, I would entertain it. Mm-hmm. What's the downside of just at least entertaining it? But that's just the. When it comes right down to religion, tarot cards, astrology, I mean anything that's numerology, yeah, all whatever of that. Everything's all about intention. And that's actually like a platform I'm starting to kind of work on for, you know, public speaking is if you intend for it to be dark energy, it will be it'll be dark energy. If you intend for something to be come from God or come from your higher self, that's what it will, will that's what it will be from. Like I I learned a ton about myself. I want to write a book called <laughs> My tarot reader saved my life, or something like That's that. That's an awesome title. And you know, it, it is it, it'll, it's catchy just because it's it's funny. But um, when I first went through all that trauma um, by losing you know my my ex boyfriend suddenly to just dis- him disappearing, um, I started getting into numerology. I just came across this book of Barnes and Noble, and like I you have to do a lot of math in order to figure out like you know your life path. Well, I'm out. Who I'm you out. are? I know. <laughs> Luckily, I'm a Capricorn, which means I like numbers. Anyway, that goes on another trail, but um, I did all this math and figured out, you know, I'm a life path six and a life path six is all about like healing humanity and unconditional love and being a good parent and, you know, whether or not that's true, whether or not numerology is a true science based on metaphysics and physics and quantum, whatever, um, it helped me set intentions to be that. Like it helped me set the intention to become what my life path number said I was. And all of a sudden I was like this, not all of a sudden, it took a while. I was this really loving, doting, caring person who had deep concern for humanity because my life path number said I was. And then I started learning about my zodiac sign. I'm a Capricorn. According to that, I'm hardworking. I'm, I'm stern but loving. I'm deeply committed and loyal. And those are things that I didn't see in myself until I started learning about my zodiac sign. And all of a sudden, because I intended to be those things, I've become all those things. And so they can be hokey. They can either be hokey and of the devil, or they can be helpful based on who you well, are. Well, like you said, hokey or from the devil is because people don't understand. So no. they put another label on mm-hmm. it that they can understand. Yeah, you can make good out of almost anything. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't use a Ouija board still, like, well, but you can make say, it out of it. Almost. I, That's why I kept the almost. Ouija board, can it be? I don't know. And I, I don't know either, and I'll never try it. But um, but you really can create good. You can create good out of anything. You can take something that's viewed as dark um, and and learn from it or intend for your interpretation to be good. It's that easy. Everything's about intention. Everything is about intention. And I actually said that to our boss one time because... You know, I was single, and and we he and I spent a lot of time together just because he's my boss. And someone accused um, him of of like wanting to cheat with me. And I told him, I'm like, he's like, do I make you feel uncomfortable? And I said, no, because I know your intentions. Like his intentions were to be a good boss. Yeah. His intentions were to help and support me. And people outside of our work relationship were just like. Possibly jealous of the time you guys spent together, maybe. Possibly. It's possible. Yeah, yeah, super possible, because you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like, everything's about intention, and you, you can feel people's intention if you tune into it, and you can set your own intentions for everything. And, um, yeah, that's what makes my life a lot easier, is that realization. You can intend to do something, and you will become it, so long as it's... So, what about the... The phrase that says, well, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. How does that apply oh, in that situation? It's a goofy, I mean, I get it, but it's a goofy statement. I don't, I think the word good is misused in that. I think, uh, I mean, the way I see it. Yeah, because it says it says good intentions, yeah. not intention. Yeah, I, don't, I think the word good is misused. I think in that case, like I picture people uh, choosing what's easy. Almost like the word good means like what's easy. Like, yeah, it's easy to go out and party every weekend because that's what your friends are doing. Or it's easy to, uh, I don't know. I can't come up with any other like certainly things, but I think the word good is misused in that quote because nothing good will get you to hell. And if it does, it just means it wasn't meant for you, which is my other post I posted the other day. (laughs) 
whatever is not meant for you will not will not stay in your life. So, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Whatever's not meant for you cannot stay. So is that like the the whole phrase if the pet if if you love it set it free. <laughs> yeah. If, if, it's if, yours it, lo- if it loves you, if it's yours, it'll come back yeah. or something. If you if it doesn't come, hunt it down and kill it or something. <laughs> I never heard that you about heard a that? pet. Oh. I've only heard it about relationships. It does, yeah. If you love it, set it free. If it's yours, it'll come back. And yeah, that I use that quote every day of my life. But more simplified, um, while I was going through my struggle with with the uh, ex boyfriend and the you know whole infidelity thing. Um, I was putting in all the work, which seems so counterintuitive now. I'm like, well, what was I thinking? Uh, I was putting in all the work, and I finally, from a tarot reader, believe it or not, she said, what's yours is yours. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, it, it's such a simple phrase, but it made me realize that I'm forcing something just because I don't want to be abandoned. And so, oh, yeah. So, yeah, when we're alone or lonely, we, do, yeah. we make dumb decisions. Yeah. Less than, less than wise decisions. But that's when I, yeah, that's when I decided to release that. And, you know, he had mentioned earlier in that same day, like, maybe we should just walk and forget about this relationship. And normal, you know, super loyal Chelsea would have been like, no, I know we can do this. But the quote, what's yours is yours. I'm like, he's not mine right now. He's not mine anymore. He hasn't been since the infidelity. And I've just been relentlessly loving and understanding and so I just didn't respond to his text and that was that. Because you were so desperate to fill a void or, mm-hmm. or didn't want to avoid loss. Well that but and I've never been more compatible with anyone in my life as far as personality goes. Than with him? Yeah yeah he and I had so much fun and we laughed at all the same things and we, we he was my best friend so it wasn't really losing someone I loved it was losing my absolute best friend and and in, you know, in that frame of mind, I felt like I could never find that again. Um, so I was willing to put up with all of his bullshit to keep my best friend around. But the whole what's yours is yours, I realized he wasn't mine. And if he was, someday after he heals from all of his bullshit, which is tons, so probably won't ever happen, um, he'd come back. But I'm not, I'm not in you, that frame of mind you, anymore. You've moved on? Not worth it? Not- yeah, I mean, I still think about him every day and I still absolutely love him, but but yeah, I knowing how much it takes to grow and knowing that he's unwilling and even like unaware that the trauma he's been through requires help, it's not going to happen. So, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I just got to that point like five days ago, but I seriously am just kind of like, good luck, friend. It's freeing. Yeah, it is. Because you've sort of unloaded it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because you can't, it's someone else's choices and you can't own that. Yeah. It's not yours to own. It's not. And, you know, the process I'm talking about, I'm making it sound way more simple than it was. Like, I spent nights, you know, fully clothed in my bathtub, screaming to God to let me be free from the pain, screaming in my car, bawling, <laughs> sobbing to release, you know, the boyfriend's energy from, ex-boyfriend's energy from me, to get over him, to to relieve all my past traumas, to, to get over um, you know, anything that was still plaguing me. It was five, five months of that, just either totally shut down by anxiety or screaming to the heavens and bawling and using my chakra and Reiki stones and doing therapy and doing Reiki work to try to release everything that has plagued me for 30 years. and. Uh, I'm about there. It's working. <laughs> yeah, I'm about yeah. there. Like I, I still get little tiny pangs like of anxiety when I think of happy memories actually with the ex-boyfriend, and I still get pangs of anxiety when I think about some of the stuff that's happened between me and my mom and my dad. And um, other and like other than that though, like I've ascended. <laughs> a you're lot. on your you're on your way. I'm on my way. So how's your relationship now with your mother, your father? It's, it's pretty surface. Um, we're friendly. Uh, I don't think it's much beyond that. I'm kind of more of the adult. Like, I'm the one who, who uh, sees things a little more clearly and from a more wise perspective. And so I uh, understand them like they're my children. I see why they are the way they are based on their own childhood traumas. And they have their own crap. They totally do. And now that I understand that, you know, I can love both of them 
for what they are and who they are and what they've been through and they just have a lot of unresolved crap like I did. And it's freeing for you because you you accept what is good about them mm-hmm. and yeah. And realize that they're maybe not trying to be jerks. No. No, they're uh, they're doing the best <clears throat> they can with what they have and yeah. and uh the more I accept that, the more I uh it's just easy to be around them. I'm the one who was like, hey, how have you been? How's your life going? And, and uh, that used to be hard for me. Like, I used to resent having to do that. But now I genuinely have a curiosity about how my parents are doing. And I hope that they're doing well. Yeah, I think as a kid, to see your parents as real. Because sometimes you ooh, idolize your parents. Like, they shouldn't make mistakes. They shouldn't be making choices like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was angry at my dad for 15 years. All of my siblings were. Mm-hmm. Because he, he never would put... Like, like as we were having children, mm-hmm. his reaction would be, oh, good God, there's another birthday I got to remember. Not, hey, congratulations, that's wow. so incredible. He's not like the doting grandpa. Wow. And we thought it was because he chose that. He just didn't care. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've realized that I think I think he has some, some mental issues that, you know, he doesn't even know about and can't. Because mm-hmm. I, I wrote him a letter years ago and said, this is frustrating for me. I'm trying to get you involved in my family you don't know what's going on with the kids they don't even know you and it seems like you don't even care he said that's totally not what I feel but that's how he's that's how his behavior is mm-hmm. so having coming to that realization it just I was like oh well I can just let this go for 15 years of anger yeah that was healing for you yeah because I now I just like okay this is what I'm gonna get from him that's all and that's he's doing the best he knows how mm-hmm and it was like, now I'm not angry anymore. You know, it didn't keep me up at night, but I was really frustrated all the time because, I mean, he's been to visit me from California three times wow. in 15 years. Wow. My Jeez. wife's family is from England and they, they come once a year. They see him more often. So it just, it just, it's just not, it just doesn't know how. So I don't, I don't, I'm not resentful of him. That's good. That That's so healing for you. To see parents as real. So like, they got their own garbage. I yeah. tell my kids all the time. Look, this is my first day with whatever, however old you are. This is my first day with you. Today. Mm-hmm. To this point. Yeah. So, doing the best I can. Probably going to screw up a lot. Just, you know. Kids need that type of self-awareness from parents. I mean, the best, I know, the best thing you can do like, with anyone is see the hurt little kid in them. Like, mm-hmm. when people offend you, which we already talked about, you choose to be offended... But I, I choose to see the hurt little kid in them. So they're just they're angry at themselves, maybe. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something that happened in their lives. Or they could just be a raving butthole. I mean, there's some mental disorders and emotional disorders, and sometimes you can't see the hurt little kid because these guys are or whoever they are, straight up like Violent. mental, mentally Violent. ill yeah. or emotionally broken. Or I don't want to say broken. That's a really rude word, but ill. Um, well, I think it's a fair word. Broken, emotionally broken. I think it's. I think it's legit. Disconnected. <laughs> I don't know. Is, I think broken is totally because it's it. It describes what it is. A lot of times, you know, stuff has happened to them that was not their choice. It was out of their control, and it is really sad that um, they haven't been aware of it or they haven't been able to get the help. Because there are a lot of people who can't afford the help, and that was me for a <clears> long time. They just can't afford the help, and and that's where. Uh, you know, that's where understanding from the community comes in. And I am I am so dedicated to being that person in every single person I meet's life. Like, they can be whatever to me. I'm not going to keep myself in a situation with them. But I will sure as hell be kind to them when I'm around them. Yeah. Because they need that. They don't believe in humanity anymore, a lot of people. A lot of them hate everyone because of one person or two people. And it's devastating. It's absolutely devastating. So... I think there's a there's a, a massive movement, and I'm seeing it with like the self help world and coaching and and entrepreneurship and is there's and do you know Brene, Brene Brown? I love Brene okay. Brown. Something people like her are are putting they're are able to articulate what what so many of us have been feeling for so long and just didn't not put words to it like your you know parents who've had their childhood crap or whatever. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to, they feel it, but they don't know what to do with it. So they just, I don't know, it's just the way it is. We just deal with yeah. it. So they don't talk about it, but people are coming out of the woodwork, being able to articulate some of this garbage that, that people are dealing with, mm-hmm. I think. There is this wave of healers that are are coming forth, you know, whether it's public speaking or 
you know, becoming psychologists, like actual like degrees or, you know, things like I'm doing, like being a Reiki master, like moving energies. There, there are just a lot of people who are understanding how to help people who don't know how to help themselves. And, um, you know, Brene Brown's words um, are, were, were a catalyst 10 years ago for me to be like, start kind of understanding myself. Um, and then, you know, there have been multiple people, Tony Robbins right now. I mean, he helps everyone. If you listen to what yeah. he says, yep. I'm going to go see him in, uh, actually next week in Miami. But there are just a lot of people whose words are healing. And then, you know, there are people who don't. Like I talked to like my old boss's boss's boss the other day. So I was like, hey, Mr. Superior. I was super intimidated to talk to him about what I do because he was like, he's like the CTO of this huge company. He came to me and he's like, I'm going through some heavy shit. And I don't know what's going on. And luckily, you know, in my training and in my line of, of work, you don't have to know. You don't have to know. You don't have to be able to put it into words. You don't have to even know what caused it. Um, you know, when I do, um, so with Reiki, you, hit, you heal people with your hands. Um, I'm highly intuitive. Like I can, I can feel their pain before they even come see me. So I know what needs to be worked on. And then sometimes as I'm working on them, which means, you know, sometimes I just hover my hands in certain um, sim symbolic ways over their body and I can see, I can see their trauma. And, you, you know, as a, as a Reiki master, you don't tell them what you see because that could actually send them spiraling. All you can do is move the energy and all you can do is, you know, help them process it and get, you know, their seven chakras open and flowing and balanced so their bodies can naturally release it. And uh, so there are people like that too, where words are healing for some. Like I have a friend who's kind of on the same journey as me. She really clings on to words. I cling on to prayer. Like mine is prayer meditation. So I'm a feeler and she's a, a, an intellect, you know, as far as like, so she's probably gonna be some sort of public speaker or therapist while I'm so spiritually minded and can feel people's pain that I, I heal with my hands. But there are things out there for people who who have no idea what kind of like what you said, they feel it in their body, they're struggling with it in their mind, but trauma, you repress it. Like I don't remember my dad left when I was six until I was 13. I had no idea my dad left. I was molested at six, no idea, absolutely no idea until um, I started doing Reiki and all of a sudden I remembered it. And I was like, whoa, cause I, this is maybe a little personal, but I had these favorite underwear I used to have when I was little. Like they were garfield with purple hearts and I never knew what happened to them. I'm like, where the hell did they go? Like they just disappeared from my drawer one day. They were at that friend's house. And I remembered that. That's the only reason I remembered that is because I'm like, oh, the purple garfield underpants and all of a sudden I kind of started going backward. And Reiki did that for me. And at the time, it, it was only painful for maybe a, a couple hours because my energies were already moving through it. And that's, you know, that's what Reiki does. And that's sometimes what words do, other people's words. Or, yeah. you know, books. I mean, people all have time, don't have time to read books, but Audible and all those things are so helpful. So helpful. There's no, you can't get enough of that, really. Mm -mm. I mean, no. Because there's so much garbage in the world. And again, we don't know how to articulate it, but people feel, they're feeling. I mean, look at our world and the amount of medications people take to, to numb themselves and the addictions. Well, emotions become... Everywhere. Emotions become physical. Like, oh, yeah. There's a book called Feelings Buried Alive, Never Died, actually written by an LDS woman, um, where she explains, you know, certain traumas and certain experiences get trapped in certain parts of the body. So arthritis and, you know, the disease that I ended up, you know, having and gut problems, which, you know, is where my disease was. Um, those are all caused by very specific traumatic events that a lot of people don't remember that manifest themselves as physical ailments. And mm -hmm. so I know with all the trauma I've been through, that's why I got sick. That's why I got sick. So I've been healing that part of me with Reiki. And now I, I'm like this medical anomaly, according to my doctor, I only have a 2% chance of it coming back, my illness. Whereas people with the same illness typically have, you know, it's like a 40, 30, 40% as you age. And mine's, he's like, my, my stuff's gone. It's totally gone. Whereas before, you usually just kind of stay dormant. Okay. And so, um, I know I'm being super vague, but like I, you know, I was talking okay. before, it's not comfortable talking about the illness because other people suffer so much more. But, um, but you know what? Yeah, that is true what you say. But everybody's crap 
is big and monumental to them. To them, yeah. And I don't think we should diminish it because it's, at, well, your illness is at a level two and mine's yeah. at a 10, so <laughs> I'm cooler because, you know, I got more clout because mine's worse. I don't think yeah. that's... Yeah, I feel, I don't know, there's that, like that, almost like survivor yeah. guilt, survival, yeah, survivor have, guilt I'm that not, I have. I'm not prying it out yeah, of you, but no, yeah. Saying, it's just, I, I'm trying to understand it in the moment, but I think it's survivor guilt, like I'm totally fine, whereas some people don't catch it early and they die from it. Um, and really, like, the, the illness is what stopped me because it wasn't super serious. The treatment is what, like, floored me. But then it was the infidelity that just, like, blew my life up. <laughs> yeah, that's, so, yeah. So, yeah. That's a whole, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And you know him, so that's probably kind yeah. of weird for you, too. <laughs> well, I don't know him well, but yeah. I know who he is. Out of any of my friends, you probably know him the best. We're around you the most. Chat with him much, but anyway. That's, yeah, yeah, that's okay. You're better off. Just kidding. It's okay. Cut that okay. part out. It's okay. He'll probably hear no it. No editing. This is all <laughs> fresh. All live. Sorry, but... dude. <laughs> not really. It's okay. Um, sorry, not sorry. Sorry. It's definitely sorry, okay. not sorry. Um, we're good now. Um, but yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. This has been fun. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think we can wrap it up. Okay. Any uh, final thoughts? How can people, be, yeah, like how can people find you? What's your, all your social handles or um, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you and say, hey, I love what you had to say. and Really right now, like Instagram is probably the best way. I do have a business set up. It's not really up and running yet. I mean, I'm doing Reiki, but my website's not up and running. So my, uh, my Instagram is just uh, the Chelsea Nye, like Bill Nye, the science guy, the Chelsea Nye. Okay. Yep, that's probably the best way to Instagram or okay. even Facebook. I'm Chelsea Nye Wolf on Facebook. Yeah. And I'll put it. I'll, okay. I'll put it on. Yeah. There. Anyone can read, like, I'm, I'm so open. Even if, like, I don't end up with a, you know, Reiki session or whatever, like, yeah. I have the knowledge if anyone just needs to talk. And that's, that's just part of my calling. And Well, my hope, see, I just got a session from you. Yeah. You, you, didn't, yeah. you, you didn't realize it, did you? <laughs> no. No. All part the of my therapist deal. sitting right here. My devious That's client. why you have podcasts, is so you right. can have therapy. Free right. therapy. Free <laughs> therapy. It's a brilliant scam. I'm it really is. I'm kind of proud of you for coming up with yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. So, well, thank you yeah, so much, thanks, Chelsea. Thanks, Brian. Just one chat with you about this. Yeah. Thank you again for listening to the Parish to Thought Show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us.